Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode of Consulting with Authority. This is your host, Scott Cantrell, uh, joined today by someone that um, is relatively new in my universe, someone that we that I connected with and networked with not too long ago, but I knew from our initial conversation he'd be an ideal guest for the podcast. So I wanted to bring him on today. And um, he is a leadership expert, strategist, consultant, and the president and founder of Core Management Training, Keith Willis. Thank you so much for joining us. Excited to talk with you today. Scott, thank you for having me on the show. Really glad to be acquainted with you and be in your network. Awesome. I'm glad to have you in the network. Um, Keith, as we usually start out these interviews with just learning a little about your background and how you got to where you are, um, so you can give us the, the quick overview of uh, you know maybe what led you to being where you are today in this leadership consultative role and developing this company, Core Management Training. Yeah, Scott. So I grew up in the south suburbs of Chicago, graduated from Northern Illinois University, and I was also an ROTC cadet. So a lot of my Great. leadership training that I got came from my time starting with ROTC. So I graduated as a distinguished military student and a distinguished military grad. I got my uh, commission on the same day that I graduated from college. So I uh, spent year, six years on active duty and my right. first duty station actually was in Germany. So uh, one of the interesting things is uh, I have pictures of me sitting on the Berlin Wall uh, literally a couple of weeks before the wall started coming down. So I believe wow. it was my 40th anniversary at that time. So, uh, you know, in interesting historical fact sure. <laughs> back in 89. And so um, I made the decision that I was going to get out of the military, you know, a lot of great lessons, learn a lot of great things, and, and spent the bulk of my career in the pharmaceutical industry. Mm -hmm. So uh, I did you know, sales representative role. My first sales rep position was in Albuquerque, New, uh, New Mexico as a sales representative, uh, eventually because of downsizings uh, within the industry, moved to Toledo, Ohio, where I continued as a, as a sales representative, won a couple of sales awards, uh, went in-house for a quick stint as a sales training manager, and then eventually became a district sales manager for about six years or so. One of the great things about pharma is we get a lot of leadership training, uh, learn a lot about soft skills, managing people and things like that. So I got a lot of development in that area in, in some of those roles. When I left the district manager position, went in-house, did account management training, and then had the opportunity to run a training team. So probably for the last I guess 15 years or so, our time goes so fast sometimes. It's so hard true. to kind of remember. But um, I spent a lot of that time running training teams. I had an opportunity to build out a leadership development program with a pharmaceutical company, did that for two to three years or so. So learned a lot there, got to do a lot of neat things, and then eventually went to run another training team for about four years for a major brand. So uh, eventually my position was eliminated. You know, like a lot of industries, pharma's constantly you know, making changes, trying to tweak and trying to make things better. Right. And so at that time I made the decision that I was gonna go out on my own. Now I had always kind of played a little bit uh, entrepreneur. I'd done, you know, had started coaching businesses and things like that on the side in the past, but decided that this is what I was going to do for full time. I felt like that I could make more of an impact working on my own than I could inside of a company. 
So that was how core management training was created and uh, really focusing on, you know, focusing on leaders, making sure that they have the right skills and abilities to uh, be successful. What we often find is that when companies struggle, usually it's at, you know, first line manager. If you can improve your first line management, oftentimes it'll have significant impact on the company. Right. So that's, you know, a little bit about my background. No, that's excellent. No, thank you for for kind of carrying us through that and uh, appreciate your service in the military as well. Uh, I'd love to see the picture of you sitting on the Berlin Wall that that uh, had to be somewhat of a surreal experience, especially when, you know, like you said, just a couple of weeks later, you're watching you're watching it come down. So exactly. Um, uh, but yeah, no, thank you for uh, sharing with us the trajectory of your career. It certainly makes a lot of sense that that you were able to. Um, and had the ability, the capability, the expertise, and the skill to go out on your own after having so much experience in the corporate world, actually developing these leadership training programs. So core management training, um, talk to us a little about who you serve, who is your your general target market. I know when we spoke before, um, a lot of the things that you do transcend industry, but I know there's specific um, maybe levels or titles of individuals that, that you serve. So maybe talk a little about that. Yeah. So, you know, primarily focused on the first line manager. Mm -hmm. Uh, Obviously, uh, I end up working with the the sales. I like to say oftentimes it's more focused on sales, usually working with senior sales to help their first line, first and second line managers. And I say primarily really more the first line manager because they're really the heartbeat of the organization. They act as the go between between uh, the higher ups as well as the, you know, normal salespeople. So yeah, it it is across industries, primarily healthcare, you know, pharma, obviously I spent 20 plus Mm -hmm. years in pharma. A lot of that intersects with healthcare, other types of companies within healthcare, but even banking, uh insurance i mean i find that generally everybody has the same type of challenges and problems and then i have done some work with some nonprofits also so generally if you come to me with a problem from a management standpoint we have a conversation we can just make the decision can i work with you can i help you or not yeah of course that makes sense uh so you you mentioned you've always sort of had this this entrepreneurial bent right you've always sort of been attracted to this idea of going out on your own and you were in a position where it just made sense to do that, where you know you'd have a good chance of success. And obviously you've done that, you've been successful. Uh, one of the things that that I am always asked about being in the business development space, um, you know, a professional service provider, coach, consultant will come to me and ask, you know, how can I get in front of more of my ideal prospects? How can I engage? How can I grow my business? Maybe talk a little about your experience uh, on the business development piece and either thing, you know, lessons learned or things that didn't work for you, or maybe things that did especially work well for you. How, how, how does Keith Willis go about finding and attracting new opportunities uh, into his world? So, yeah, I'd say it's a hustle. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly. That's number one. Um, you know, business development is probably one of the hardest things to do, I think, as in, in as any business owner. I found LinkedIn to be a great tool. Um, it does a lot of things. It, it extends networks. It builds networks. I've, I like to say old school, new school. So old school, okay. I think the uh, good old fashioned networking. Obviously, it works. You, you know, get on the phone. You tap into your network. You go to events. You do a lot of different things that way. But LinkedIn is a great tool because LinkedIn uh, a introduces you to people. 
that you may or may not know that may be within your current circle right. or even people that you're networked with. Uh, I know, for example, there's a current opportunity that, that I've been working since the end of last year. Uh, gentleman and I were on a board of directors together. Mm-hmm. And because I looked at his LinkedIn profile to get a sense of what he you know, was doing and there was opportunity that I was looking at, I reached out to him. And part of that was because I still had some idea of some of the things that he was doing from a LinkedIn perspective. And so I reached out to him and, you know, that led to the, you know, one of the opportunities that I'm doing right now. There was another gentleman. um, We probably have only met once, you know, at a couple of different events, probably have only talked to him. I've talked to him more on the phone than I have in person. Sure. And we met, we met via LinkedIn. And so there's an opportunity that's been presented to me uh, because I've had a couple of conversations, a couple of follow-ups, all of these were using LinkedIn. Gotcha. And so I find that from a business development standpoint, that it's a great tool because it really, it helps build your network, but also helps you continue that network. And then I just think you have to do the the old fashioned, um, you got to get on the phone, you have to talk to people, you have to follow up and all of those things. So that's what's worked. I'd say there's a good sense of uh, trial and error. Sure. Um, You know, you uh, lots of different methodologies, you know, things like speaking, Mm -hmm. uh, chamber of commerce, uh, you know, find your community. I was fortunate, you know, to work in a collaboration workspace for a while also. And so there were a lot of entrepreneurs there. And so that was the community that I needed to find. So things like websites and, you know, those type of things and uh, how to promote yourself. And, you know, a lot of times there are a lot of different types of programs and things. So I think all of those things go into the business development portion when you're trying to build your business. Yeah, no, I I, I couldn't agree more. I love this uh, categorization of old school tactics and new school <laughs> tactics, right? New school, largely, I assume probably digital online, all the shiny yes. objects that are available, all the different things you can do. Old school, uh, you know, old, reliable, old, but very reliable and proven techniques. And at the end of the day, all of those techniques, whether old school or new school, in my estimation, in the world that we're in, right, where we're trying to reach out to a high level decision maker um, in, in a small, medium or large organization, frankly, it is all about the nature uh, and the, the context of the relationship that you're creating, right? It's all, it's all relationships. And, and um, you know, not to use the cliche, uh, but it's all about who you know. Well, to to that extent, but I like the the reverse of that too, right? It's about who knows you. Exactly. Uh, you've got to be visible and put yourself out there and and actively and consistently engage with people who who are either going to be good members of your network, whether they're a client opportunity or not. Um, but then at the same time, identifying where you can contribute the most value and start to engage those conversations. And the more at bats you take, try to engage those conversations. The more conversations you'll have, the more business will be created. I want to uh, uh, dive a little bit deeper into what you talked about LinkedIn, because I couldn't agree more in terms of the nature of the platform. That said, and I'm sure you've seen this too, Keith, there is so much great work, uh, great prospecting and business development work, really networking is what we're talking about. Networking and cultivation that can be done on and through LinkedIn. At the same time, there's so much you know, so much um, noise and clutter and and just robotic messaging being done on LinkedIn that is totally impersonal, totally inauthentic. And you're seeing that and experiencing that. And of course, 
um, as of the timing of this recording, not too long ago, LinkedIn put the kibosh down on number of messages being sent out and so forth uh, to, to help reduce a lot of that noise and clutter. And from that standpoint, I think it's been successful, even though I think for a lot of people who were using it properly and aggressively, that's that's you know tempered their approach a little bit too. Talk to us a little about what you're doing on LinkedIn in terms of identifying opportunities and, and maybe beginning to engage those individuals in conversations. What does... If you sat down and said, okay, I'm going to work on LinkedIn for for 30 minutes today or 60 minutes today, what does sort of that workflow or process generally look like for you? Yeah. So this this has changed over time because, you know, I was probably one of those people that I was somewhat guilty of sending a lot of messages. I did a drip campaign last year. Uh, It was a seven message sequence. Um, You know, basically invited people to connect uh, you sent some, you know, content to them and then you asked for a meeting, some variation of that. Yeah. And what I found was it, it wasn't really effective. Yeah. Um, I never really got a, you know, good, I, I, I had some good leads. I shouldn't say it wasn't time wasted. And I think it's like yeah. everything you learn as you go. Of course. And uh, I bumped into these guys that had a LinkedIn course. Uh, mm-hmm. They were going after a major pharma client. And because of my reach out, and this is gets back to, you know, everything you do, it doesn't work the way you think, but it does work right. some kind of way. Right. So they had this course <clears throat> and my big aha was I have about 6,000 connections on LinkedIn. I, you know, mm-hmm. uh, some of them are people that I do know and some of them, they aren't through the drip campaign, but the long and short of it was that um, all of these people in your backyard are people that, you know, you have some level of connection. So I send out birthday messages and I send out birthday messages. They're no more or less than that. I'm not asking you for a meeting or anything. It really is. Right. Hey, happy birthday. Yep. And it's not like the tried and usual happy birthday, you know, where LinkedIn has the, you know, it's actually some little bit of thought or whatever right. on that. And so you get some very nice messages where people get back um, some people will actually send you a message because you can send messages that way. And I have gotten a few messages where people have you know, sent congratulation messages that way. And then from an anniversary standpoint, when people have job anniversaries, you congratulate them. And then you offer, hey, 15-minute meeting. We'd love to catch up. We haven't talked in a while. Same thing when you start a new job. Mm-hmm. So that actually has gotten um, responses uh, or somebody requests to uh, connect with you. You ask them, well, what made you interested in my profile? Why are you interested in connecting? I was able to secure a coaching client that way. Saw that you were an executive coach, was interested in finding an executive coach. So you have time for a 15-minute call. One thing led to another. Mm-hmm. So oftentimes there are people within the network in LinkedIn, we try so hard with these campaigns and all of these different things that we kind of lose sight of. We have these people that we can reach out to and communicate with on a more personal level. And so that has led me to these conversations. So this is how we ended up on the phone. Some kind of, I can't remember who reached out to who, but right. we ended up in this conversation. Right. And so um, there can be a level of intimacy when you're messaging from that standpoint. I've been working with a uh, coach recently. And so what they have me focused on is more on an account level. 
Mm -hmm. So you kind of identify, you know, 15, 20 companies that you may want to work with and who people are in certain roles. Yes. And then there's a whole messaging sequence. But here again, it's a little different. It's not you just send a blind message. Right. Um, you're maybe doing some endorsements, some other things. Maybe you're going to follow them. And then you maybe you have an invite, um, you know, and there are some things. Eventually, what you're trying to do is build a relationship. So Precisely. literally have just started doing that. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think we've got one account mapped, so I have about another 20 to do. So it's going to take a little bit of time. So I'll tell you how that's working. But at least from the standpoint of this makes sense, it seems like it's a little bit more personalized than what I was doing. Right. So I suspect that should have some success with that. Good. But I would definitely say between that as well as really thinking about who are the people that you have in your backyard, so to speak, within LinkedIn, that you can continue to build some relationships with. And it's not going to be everybody. Right. Um, but if you let that occur organically, I think it's going to it's going to create more opportunities because some of these folks are people that I've known for years. And so you end up in conversations with them. Um, other people will, you know, when you have these conversations, you realize there are these opportunities that are going to build you and move you to where you want to be. So I, I think that LinkedIn is 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 a great professional tool. And, you know, even people that are not working in the service field, you know, if you're mm -hmm. working on a company, um, you know, with the marketplace and everything, you just have to be visible some kind of way. Right. And, you know, I know people find jobs and things without LinkedIn, but they're working twice as hard. You know, they they're yeah, they're using their old fashioned network, which I think works well but they can extend more of what they do if they use a little bit more, some of the digital capabilities as well as some of the old tactics that they were using in the past. Well, I, I love the way you just wrapped that up because when you were talking about old school and new school and then mentioned LinkedIn, I actually on the page here, I wrote old school and listed a couple of things you mentioned. I wrote new school. And then in the middle, I wrote LinkedIn with an arrow pointing both ways, right? Uh, because the, the LinkedIn digital platform, the nature of that is, you know, new school, so to speak, but the strategies that work on LinkedIn and how to implement them are old school strategies, just in a different media, just in a different platform. Exactly. So I, I think the way that you've described you, you are now utilizing LinkedIn. It's not surprising that you're getting traction. You're having conversations and you're meeting people that you want to meet. I also will affirm um, this account-based approach that you just described. I know you're just starting out on it, uh, but this model in particular is one that, that I um, have utilized, you know, utilized myself and work with clients to utilize too. So I'll affirm it. Um, the idea being identify, you know, your target 20 or whatever size list is reasonable and then warm up the relationship. Uh, like you said, through the endorsement, through the following, you know, ultimately through a connection request and then a messaging sequence. But the other stuff uh, precedes that maybe commenting on a few of their posts if they're active on LinkedIn. Um, and again, it's, you know, it's just like a relationship in real life. It just happens to be online, right? So you you wouldn't expect someone that you just randomly meet at at a chamber of commerce event or at the grocery store or wherever uh, that you just happen to meet and strike up a conversation. You wouldn't expect them to say, "I'll send you a contract tomorrow," right? <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Probably not going to happen, right? It's going to take some some conversation and some cultivation, um, uh, so that there is a level of you know. Uh, knowledge, likability, and trust, right? We yeah. work with who we know, like, and trust. 
the other the other piece that I'll mention too, you talked about the importance of being visible, right? Making yourself visible. I have a, a methodology, and this is just really appropriate for what we're talking about right now, called the law of market gravity. The idea being that if you want to achieve authority in a marketplace, which is what I help my clients do, you've got to start out being visible. And then you've got to cultivate that relationship so they know that you're actually a credible resource, that you can do what you say you can do, that you've got the work history, that you've got the successes. That establishes credibility. And then you can go into authority. Authority is when there's actual engagement happening and you're demonstrating your knowledge and your skill to that prospect, that potential opportunity or a group of people, right? Could be done in that way too. So LinkedIn provides a platform to be able to achieve all of those things, right? Your profile is there and you can feature your successes just like you do on your profile. Um, you know, and you can talk about your work history and what you've done that establishes a credibility. Then you're putting yourself out there and you're, you know, you're endorsing and you're messaging and so forth in a, in a thoughtful, productive way, authentic way that makes you visible. And then that leads directly to these conversations, which gives you a platform to, to create your own authority. So I love what you're doing on LinkedIn. I, I would just echo it. Um, I think there I think there can be a place for certain levels of automation on LinkedIn, so long as it's hyper-targeted and the messaging yeah. is still authentic. Yeah. Right? And, and this is where people, this is where people go wrong, is they take a, a rote campaign that isn't personalized, isn't hyper-targeted, yeah. isn't really authentic to them, and they just blast it out. Usually it's not a cultivation focused campaign either. It's just, hey, this is what we do. Do you want to buy it? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like that's yeah. probably not well, gonna work. The funny thing is, and, and you mentioned that because we were sending out, I think, 30 connects a day. So A, you're mm-hmm. trying to keep track of all of those people. It's a lot. Yeah. So even when you have a campaign that you are trying to personalize, you tick a, a portion of people off. The one thing I like about this account based is it's very focused. So yes. if you have 20 to 25 companies, you know, the targets are probably will expand because we looked at, we're gonna look at three types of people that fall within a certain role. So right now I think we focus no more than five and maybe six to eight, we'll see. Like I said, there's a part of trial and error around this. But what you do is you're, you're there's a map, there's a mapping. So you map out, you know, some of this stuff is automated. So there's a process that's automated. But the thing is, there are also checkpoints because there's a point where if you do certain things, they drop out of the campaign because now you've got to figure out how do I pick that person up? Or I may have a VA that will send them something and then the offer for the telephone. So now you drop out of this LinkedIn campaign. But it's a lot easier to, um, let's say, and I don't know what the numbers will be. This is to say argumentatively out of the 150 people that get targeted, that we hit 20% and that's 30 people. Um, the, you know, when you start looking through the numbers and everything, at some point you may end up doing business with one of those companies, with one of those 30 people, that's actually a fairly decent return and fairly easy. So, uh, what's, what's it? The, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the the rule of uh, 150. I don't know. Yeah. So the rule of 150 goes that once you go beyond 150 to 200 relationships, it gets exponentially very difficult. So when you, from a cultural standpoint, when small companies go beyond the 150 to 200 range, Mm -hmm. the CEO or the leader of that organization is no longer able to push that culture down to the organization, which is gets back into this whole thing about managers and why managers are important because it's at that level. So you think in terms of when you're managing networks and things like that, once you 
you go beyond that number, there's only an infinite number of people that you're going to know intimately. So when you think about targeting and you're looking at a group of, you get 30 out of that 100 to 150 people, that's a nice number for you to manage from a campaign standpoint, because you can build these relationships to drive your business. Yeah, I like that. I like that way of thinking too. And your uh, and and thank you for enlightening me on the rule of one hundred and fifty. It makes perfect sense when I hear you describe it. I don't know that I would have had that perception, but uh, understanding, especially specifically on the cultural point that you made, you've got a CEO. They've got one hundred and ten people or one hundred people. They can know everybody, right? They the those individuals can know them. You get up to one hundred sixty, one hundred eighty. All of a sudden, that's the point where you know, the human brain, uh, or at least in that environment, makes it very difficult to know everyone on that intimate level that you want. So the same rule applying into business development uh, makes a lot of sense. And you're 100% right for the work that that I think we do and the people like us do who are watching and listening to this. Yes, uh, a, a meaning, a, a, a new client out of a hundred, you know, original universe of 150 that we targeted 30 on and we cultivated those, if we only get one, um, especially if that process is systematized in some way that we can feasibly manage it comfortably. Yeah, that's a win. That's absolutely a win because that, that opportunity, assuming we do good work, that opportunity is probably, probably not a one and done. And even if it is a one and done, maybe the project is quite substantial, could be very exactly. substantial. So, um, you know, that's the other thing that I think is different about marketing for a consultant in the B2B space, as opposed to other types of business development, other types of businesses or industries, you know, so many industries and businesses and not even, they, they don't all have to even be product driven. Many of them are, but it is about the, the quantity, the volume of leads, the volume of prospects. Um, in our world, it is not about the quantity because we can't develop the relationships with right. that many people. It really is about the quality of the opportunities that we're seeking because we don't need um, a ton of people to say yes. We need the right people exactly. to, to say yes. So um, no, I think that's I think that's excellent. Uh, so let's talk. Let's go to the next phase of of business development here. So you have successfully had the conversation and you're in the sales process. Maybe give everybody an overview of what your your general um, client education process or a prospect education process is, leading them to the point of becoming a client. What does that generally look like for you? What's that trajectory when someone engages you and says, "Keith, you may be our guy. Let's let's have a conversation about what you might be able to do for us." Yeah, so I think the the biggest thing is to kind of understand where people are and kind of what their challenges are. Number one, um, and that's actually. That's pretty difficult because we think it's A and it may be B, C, and D. That's true. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, it, it, so it's part of and that. Often, oftentimes the client doesn't necessarily know the right answer to that. They have a perception. Right. That perception may not be correct. Yeah, you know? exactly. So I think part of that process oftentimes is to take a step back and look at the broader picture. So I try to do is uh, look at the broader picture, especially from a training perspective. And people will say, I need training. Uh, my managers need soft skills, emotional intelligence, or whatever that is. And part of the question gets to be, okay, so how does that fit into the bigger picture of what you're doing from a training perspective? Because it's this one and done. Yeah. Um, you know, how does that, how are you going to pull that through over time? How are you going to measure it? How are you going to know that this has had impact from a business perspective? Really, what are you looking to accomplish? Right. What do you want people to do today? What do you want people to do that they're not doing? 
Right. And how are you going to know that they're doing that? So that's part of the conversation to help when we kind of do this discovery of what's the primary issue. And then does that relate back to a business perspective? So oftentimes we don't think of training as there being an outcome, but there is an ROI. It might be uh, if we approve managerial effectiveness, we want to reduce turnover by 5%. And right. then you can put some numbers around that. Or we have an issue of absenteeism. Mm-hmm. I used to didn't think that absenteeism was an issue until you hear people that talk about going on short-term disability because they literally are getting headaches from their boss. And wow. then they yeah. find a job, the headaches go away. <laughs> <laughs> a figure, yeah. Yeah. So hence, uh, things like short-term disability, absenteeism can be signs that there are management problems. So you try to have those conversations to get a sense of really what's the what are the real issues and what are going to be the ways to solve that. And so then I think once there's some agreement, mm-hmm. then develop a plan of, of what, you know, intervention might look like. That might be something that's off the shelf. Uh, mm-hmm. That might be something that basically you put together, you know, we're, bo- we're boutique. So a lot of stuff you customize, even though it might be a main deck, you bo- you customize that to what the customer is going to need. Do some level of execution and on the back end, you do follow up to say, okay, so what was the impact? And from, you know, did we get the measurable results that you wanted to get? And we, we try not to get too wrapped around the axle around the program itself from the standpoint of, oh, yeah, the program was great. The question is, did the program have impact? Right. Because the program could be great, but, you know, when people begin to forget, which is just natural, over time, you're going to forget what you learned and they're not executing it, then maybe the program wasn't as successful. So how do you put things in place to help organizations maintain that level of, of, uh, you know, consistency from the development that they've gotten? And so that may include pull-through tools for managers. It may include coaching of individual managers or individuals to help pull through that content. It's it's it like you said. It's locking in the impact, which is in turn locking in the ROI. Right? Exactly. Because if you come in and you have this this intervention, I'll use that word, this intervention training and behavior changes. The question is, how long will it stay changed um, without? being properly managed without being supported without being reinforced in some way um and if it if you do something and it works for 90 days then that's great for 90 days but what about the rest of time exactly <laughs> yeah making it stick for the purposes of impact yeah right so sometimes for example you'll hear uh, organizations say well we hire a lot of experienced people okay so let's say you have a coaching model Mm-hmm. Uh, you have 10 managers from 10 different companies that have 10 different coaching models or three have coaching models. The other ones never used the coaching model before. Mm-hmm. How are you going to provide feedback on those managers about how they coach and provide feedback? If you don't have a consistent process to even have a conversation about from a management stand, management team standpoint, right. or even a sales process, uh, you learn this sales process, you learn to challenge your sales and this person mm-hmm. learn integrity selling, for example, uh, you're having a conversation about the sales process and customers, but because you're not on the same sheet of music, you're not aligned. So therefore the conversation goes south. So oftentimes people don't necessarily even think about those as training or even business planning. Uh, Some people use, um, 
you know, an issues-based planning process. Some use a different type of process. And so when you don't have alignment, business conversations have a difficult time happening. So sometimes when you do training, it's to have consistency among the team of a group of people that have experience. Right. Well, you still have to reinforce because if, I, if I've been using one methodology for the last 10 years, now you're asking me to use this new methodology. You have to have a consensus or a group or a way in, in, a, in a direction, a way to make sure that that happens. Now, that doesn't mean that you're supposed to forget everything that you've learned, but how do you add that into the new model and make sure you're using a consistent language and the consistent thing? So those are the things that companies oftentimes miss out on when they don't have training. Uh, it's just like uh, the fire department. Yeah, mm-hmm. guys know how to do, uh, you know, the firemen's carry. Uh, probably been doing it for years, but sometimes it's good just to practice to make sure maybe there's some new techniques. Maybe there's some ways that you can uh, reduce the weight burden. Um, You know, as you get older, you're not as strong. So maybe there's some tips and tricks. So all of those things play into even training experienced teams and what to do and how to do it more effectively. Yeah, that's very, very good. That's very, very good. Um, So let's, and and you started going down this path. Let's continue. Um, In terms of a, of a, a standard. I, I know you know you customize so much for client. It'll depend on the need that the client has. Maybe you can even just use a, a an anonymous example here. Uh, what does a client engagement look like for you on on average in terms of the work that you're doing and how you're engaging? The reason I'm asking this question is in today's world where there is so much dynamic change going on around us, where business leaders are looking for and and this has always been true, but it's especially true now. They're looking for the best, fastest, least expensive answer. Right? They're, trying do, they're trying to do more with less because they have less and they know they need to do more. Um, um, the, I feel like the more that our community of consultants and coaches can share, well, here's the type of engagement that I look at doing, or here's how I think about the work that I do and how I piece it together to make it effective. The more we can hear from each other on that, I think you know, a uh, rising tide lifts all ships, so, so to speak. So maybe speak to that. What does a, a standard engagement look like for you in terms of the nature of your deliverables and how you're engaging with the client or the individuals within an organization? Yeah. So if, if somebody's asked me to come in and facilitate a workshop or something like that, you have a conversation about, you know, what's the need? What are you looking to do? What are you looking to accomplish? Mm-hmm. Um, is there an off the shelf solution? So, for example, I'm certified to do social styles. I'm certified to do emotional intelligence mm-hmm. as well as strength finders. So those are three programs that right off the bat, there are core decks. Yeah, now, there's um, how that gets executed could be a variety of ways. It could be live. A lot of people are doing things virtually. Sure. Uh, there's with the social styles courses, an online course that pe- people can take up front that you can give them. So that's almost like the pre-work. And then that pre-work, they come into the course, you reinforce the concepts and things. And then the back end, there's some additional tools that come as a part of the online tool mm-hmm. that we can do some reinforcement. Um, if it's emotional intelligence, it may be a pre-read and then doing a virtual engagement on the back end. You you know, some pull through coaching and things like that. Strength finders is the assessment up front. Ideally, you do a coaching engagement. If you're going to do the entire team, you do a coaching engagement with the manager to get a sense of where their hotspots are. And then you meet with the team and then there's some reinforcement along the way. Okay. Um, if you're looking to... Um, Let's say you're looking for succession planning in you, and you're on your team. 
Uh, I have a variety of different assessments that are AI based where you can do some assessments, you can get a sense of where people's gaps are, and then you can build an individual development plan for that person. So it varies, but ultimately it's a variation of that, determining what the needs are. And then me looking at the tools that I have and then saying, I can do this this way. I have done some work with some other partners that uh, specialize in business planning and things like that. So sometimes they may be utilizing some of the tools that they have Mm -hmm. and using their materials to help the client that way. So that's generally what the engagements look like. Mm -hmm. Um, I like to say, if you want it fast, it has to be easy. Um, That's great. Yeah. You know, if you're willing to take a little bit more time, it's probably going to be a little bit more. If you want something a little bit more complex, it's going to take a little bit more time. So customers, oftentimes they want those both together. They can't be together. Right. Right. If it's going to be fast, it's got to be easy. Right. You can execute it well. Exactly. Because because they never they never want to sacrifice quality. Exactly. They always want to achieve the objective and at the highest level of quality. So, yeah. Exactly. And then I think the other thing is, is that um, the client ideally should have a person uh, that acts as the surrogate or be involved in the project, because at the end of the day, you're still an outsider. You're not a part of the organization. So if you have somebody on the inside that buys into the concepts and ideals that you're presenting, easier to pull people along with that because you have somebody that in a sense, they're sold on what you're trying to do, and it's easier for them to sell to their internal network. So I think that's an important part of uh, basically having a champion within the organization that really, and I say champion, I don't mean just that science check, but a champion that's really willing to work with you. Right. To pull content through and help you, you know, basically execute what's being asked to be executed. I, I, I love Everything that you said, but in particular this last point, because I think so often it's over, uh, it's overlooked. It's it's just not something that we, as consultants, we actively search for. Right? You know, I when the organization seems to say, "Oh yes, we'll we'll engage," it's like, "Okay, I, I ended the race, right? I I, I won." <laughs> but the reality is that's really just the starting line, right? Because you want to do good work for all sorts of reasons, right? Exactly. There's ethical, moral reasons to right. do good work, uh, but then there's very, you know. Um, uh, Business, there's business and revenue reasons to do very good work. Um, so let's talk about this uh, identifying and, and activating a project advocate or project champion. Now, you mentioned, of course, it could be uh, and probably often is uh, the decision maker that's bringing you in um, and, and maybe the one signing the check that is going to be the champion and the advocate. And I, I assume you know, that conversation is, is basically just educating them and letting them know, listen, in order for this to be successful, I am an outsider. You're the one with, you know, you're the one with the boots on the ground. Uh, I'm going to need you to make sure that you're advocating for this and championing this project in order for it to be as successful as we both want and need it to be. So there's that conversation. But uh, maybe, maybe talk a little about that. How do you identify? Yeah. Maybe, maybe that person is the decision maker. Maybe sometimes it's not. Um, how do you identify that person? And what kind of conversation or relationship do you feel like you need to build with that person to make sure that they're empowered to be that advocate for for you, but not not just for you, but for the project itself? Yeah. So I think there's a couple of aspects of that. Uh, so, you know, oftentimes you sometimes you enter into these relationships through training. So training may not necessarily be the 
champion from the standpoint of you have a leader that signed off. So even though the check and budget's coming through the training department, the leader is the one that's the champion per se. Sure. Uh, sometimes it's the trusted lieutenant. So you may talk with the sales VP, they give the project to the trusted lieutenant who may a be the person that goes through the process or may identify somebody in their team that goes through that process. So sometimes as a part of the facilitation of content information you may have that person present so for example if you're doing business planning mm -hmm. maybe that's a person you walk through and that you work through intimately in the development of that or if you're putting together slides uh, maybe it's that manager because you've had some conversations prior to the you know process taking place if they've been a part of that process so for example if you're doing strengths oftentimes you're doing a coaching as a part of that to say what are the hot spots what are the challenges what are the issues so what happens is is the managers owning that session because they've had the coaching and they're looking at it and say well for us to do this as a team here's how this is going to make our team more effective right. here's how this is going to make our team better uh so i think you know combination of those processes and oftentimes just having a conversation with whoever that champion or leader is to say who's that person that you want me to work with so it might be as simple as um we'll send the deck over to them we'll do a, we'll do a live walkthrough we'll answer any questions that they may have make sure that they're comfortable because they're the ones that oftentimes are going to do the kickoff to say hey i've been through this information i understand the context let me give you context from our business let me put together what the, what the consultant's trying to do relatively to what we're trying to accomplish as a business Oh, that makes perfect sense. That's good. Yeah, no, thank you for giving me context and, and sort of walking me through what, you know, kind of the different variations of that, because I do think it's really, really important without that advocate, without that champion, <clears throat> the project, I don't want to say it's doomed because it's not necessarily doomed, but in my experience, it's much, much easier to have someone advocating and champion for the project as opposed to everybody just expecting the outsider to coordinate exactly. and, and champion the own their own work internally when they're not, again, internal. So exactly. I think it's incredibly valuable. Uh, last question before we wrap here, Keith, um, you've had, you, you've done a lot in your career, right? Uh, it's a very interesting trajectory. Maybe talk a little about lessons learned either on, from, you know, on the personal side of things, the professional side of things, either or both. A couple of you know, points of wisdom or lessons that you've learned either the hard way or, or just through experience uh, doing things well that other coaches or business to business consultants might be able to take away and apply in their own life or business? Yeah, so I, I think there are a couple of things. I think one, really focus on what you do well. Uh, oftentimes, there are reasons why we got into consulting, reasons why we got into business, identify what really literally your strengths are and try to focus on doing that more and more. I think one of the challenges of being a consultant is you end up being a jack of all trades sure. uh, as yeah. a solopreneur or even a small business owner. You're often trying to get blood out of a turnip from the standpoint of you don't necessarily want to spend a lot of money doing a lot of things. Invariably, those additional things take away from you being the expert in doing what you do. So I like to say hire hope when you can. Mm -hmm. Even if it's as simple as hiring a virtual assistant to help you with processes, establish processes, and help you do things that you just don't do as well. If you're not detail-oriented, find somebody that's detail-oriented that can help you. Yeah. Uh, if you're not accountant by trade, yes, you need to understand your books, but maybe you should hire somebody to help you with that portion of your business because those are the things that take away from doing what you do best. So that would be number one. And then number two, I think, is um, it's trial and error. 
you know, be, be, be willing to fail. <laughs> yeah, you have to be willing to fail. You have to try some things. And then I think uh, there's lessons on top of lessons. So mm -hmm. I talked a lot about LinkedIn earlier. Uh, I generally feel that I'm probably better than the average person. But I've worked with a couple, I've worked probably with two or three different people around LinkedIn and have learned a tremendous amount or figured out how much I didn't know and how much expertise I didn't have. Right, right. And so, um, and then there's been an element of trial and fair, of, of, you know, trial and error. You know, my first drip campaign didn't work as well as I wanted it to. However, I do think that it laid the groundwork for some other opportunities. So everything that you do lays opportunities for other things and there are learning and lessons there that not, not, may not necessarily come right away. So sometimes it, you, sometimes I know I felt like I've spent time doing something that was time wasted. Right. Maybe not time wasted, maybe the lesson just hasn't come yet. Maybe the lessons to come later or help you build upon or has given you a base of knowledge that you will use at a later time. So those are probably the two lessons that I've learned, um, you know, in life in general and especially going out on my own. Yeah, I love that perspective of because uh, I know I've been there uh, more than once where you're working on a project or doing something and you, and you do feel like the time is completely wasted. But I love your perception, and your perspective that it may feel that way now, but the lesson that you're learning now, it may not become apparent until later. Uh, so just make sure you're listening and watching and paying attention to what can you learn from the experience uh, regardless. I think that's fantastic. Uh, if someone wants to learn more about core management training and, and potentially engage with you and learn more about what you're doing, what's the best way for them to, uh, to learn more and to potentially connect with you? Yeah, so they can go to uh, www.coremanagementtraining.com. That's mm -hmm. my website. Or they can reach out to me at K Willis and K is in Kilo, K Willis or Keith Willis uh, at coremanagementtraining.com. Or yeah. they can reach out to me at 484-272-5138. Awesome. That's fantastic. Listen, thank you so much for being so generous with your time and your expertise today, Keith. I'm looking forward to continuing our networking, our cultivation of this relationship and seeing where it goes. But again, I really appreciate your time today. Thanks, Scott. Really appreciate you allowing me to be on your show and, and, and talk to your network. Thank you. Absolutely. I know it was worthwhile. Uh, for Consulting with Authority, this is Scott Cantrell wishing all of you the best of success. Thank you for listening. I hope you got a ton of value out of this episode. And before we go, I want to thank the sponsor of our show, Smart Solutions Media. Smart Solutions Media empowers business owners, consultants, and other independent professionals to easily attract better prospects, and transform them into long-term clients. If you're a B2B consultant or service professional and would like to start filling your pipeline with better quality prospects, visit us on the web at smartsolutionsmedia.com to learn more about what we can do to help you. Be sure to complete this short two-minute accelerated growth scorecard you can find on the website and you'll receive a complimentary strategy session where we'll give you specific insights and recommendations to help you attract high-value clients. Until next time, Make sure you are consulting with authority.